Good morning, everyone. It's a dialing me in. There's a. It's a blessing to be able to worship with my brothers and sisters in Christ here at Redemption Hill. Uh, as Tim mentioned, I'm one of the pastors over at. First Baptist Church of Windsor, I myself need to get used to saying Windsor Christian Church. It hasn't, we haven't officially rebranded ourselves as that yet, but uh, I've been there for a little over a year. Before then, I was in San Francisco for about a year or so, and then before then, the Midwest. So I've been hopping around a lot, but it's good to be here in Sonoma County. It's good to be with you all this morning, too. So that said, again, our sermon this morning will be on First Peter chapter 1, looking at verses 13 through 21. So again, turn your Bibles to First Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 21. I believe the outline is in the handout as well, too. And as you're turning in your Bibles again to 1 Peter chapter 1, let me just give you a brief introduction about this book. So in short, 1 Peter is a letter from the Apostle Peter to Christians in northern Asia Minor. So think like modern-day Turkey or something like that. And these Christians were facing unbelievable opposition and persecution for their faith, okay? So these were Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, who were suffering because of their faith in Jesus, okay? And implied in the text here, you can see that they were losing their jobs. They were being gossiped about. They were being threatened and so on and so on. And so Peter knew that Christians in this area were suffering, and so he wrote this letter to them. So that's the the thrust of this letter. So we have to ask, well, what does Peter say to encourage these suffering Christians? Okay, What would you write to suffering Christians? What does Peter have to say to encourage suffering Christians? Well, in short, Peter encourages them to stand firm in the faith, okay? to persevere in the faith, to not give up on the faith. But that's easier said than done, right? When you're losing your job, when your neighbors are talking behind your back, when your family is being threatened even, how does a Christian find strength to stand firm in the faith and not grow weary, to not give up? And how can we find strength to do the same thing? Because it's still difficult to be a Christian even today, right? I mean, it's tough being a Christian Uh, even in these days, especially in in a county like Sonoma County, where the Christian worldview is the minority worldview. And so I'm sure many of you know firsthand how difficult it is to be a bold, open Christian, whether that be at work or at school or even among family. I myself am the only believer in my entire family. It's difficult. Being a bold, alive Christian Christian in a fallen world such as ours oftentimes feels like being a soldier behind enemy lines, right? And that's just the vantage point from us in the U.S. I mean, imagine our brothers and sisters in Eastern Europe right now. And so it's not easy to be a bold Christian in a fallen world such as ours, but 1 Peter affirms to us that it's never never been easy from the very beginning. And so again, what can encourage us to stand firm in the faith? What can give us courage and motivate us to follow Christ? And I'm not talking about just in our holy huddles either. I'm talking about taking up our cross and being out in the battlefield of life in this fallen world. What can encourage us to take up our cross and march onward when the path is rough and narrow? 
Or in short, how can we be holy in an unholy world such as this? Well, that heavy question is what this morning's passage will answer. Because again, Peter knows, he's not naive. He knows firsthand that it's not easy being a Christian. But listen carefully. Peter also knows that the only thing that's going to encourage tired Christians is to remind them what it means to be a Christian. In other words, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 21, yes, it's a call for us to press on in the faith. It's a call to hope and to holiness. But our motivation, okay, our motivation to do so, to press on in the faith, is rooted in the reality of what it means to be a Christian. It's rooted in the reality of our salvation itself. The motivation to press on is rooted in the reality of our salvation. So that in mind, let's go ahead and read the passage for this morning. Again, 1 Peter chapter 13 through 21. Uh, chapter 1, verse 13 through 20, I'm sorry. So let's read. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ." like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Church, let's pray. Our sovereign and holy Lord, I pray above all else, may your word be proclaimed this morning that by your Holy Spirit, Lord, you encourage us, that by your Spirit, Lord, you soften hardened hearts. Lord, above all else, may you receive the glory this morning, Lord. Lord, may those with ears hear, and may those with eyes see, O oh Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So again, Peter's main point for suffering Christians is to not give up on the faith, okay, to stand firm in the faith, to persevere in the faith. Well, why? Well, as First Peter explains, he says why. It's because to be a Christian in and of itself is a blessed privilege. To be a Christian itself, just the, the meaning behind that is a huge blessing. And so early on in First Peter, in the, in, in the beginning of this chapter, Peter explains that to be a Christian is to be born again by God through Christ. Okay. It's to have new life now, to be born again. And to be a Christian is to have a living hope that awaits us in eternity. And so in short, Christians, for the true Christian, they are children of God and eternity is their home, right? 
But in the meantime, okay, before we get there, in the meantime, Christians still go through trials in this fallen world. The world is still broken. The world is still out of sync. And so, what is our primary motivation to press on in the faith? To live as children of God. Especially when the world around us just pushes us down, challenges our faith, makes us weary, makes us tired. What motivation is there to press on in the faith? Well, again, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 21 tells us this. I'm going to unpack this. This is my sermon in a nutshell. It is to remember the reality of our salvation. Remember the reality of our salvation. In other words, if you want to press on, if you're, if you're weary this morning even, if you're feeling it even this morning, and if you want motivation to press on, to live holy lives in this fallen world, then you need to remember what it means to be saved. You need to remember the joy of your salvation because it is out of that that you will have the motivation to press on in hope and in holiness. Again, remember the reality of our salvation. And Peter, he explains this from three angles in this text. So first, and this is my outline for this morning, first, inward hope on the grace to come, looking at verse 13. Second, outward holiness in an unholy world. And third, upward reverence to your holy father. So that said, let's go to our first point. And that again is inward hope on the grace to come. And I'm looking at verse 13 there. So let me reread verse 13. Peter writes, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what does this mean? Well, earlier in the chapter, earlier in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter explains the meaning of salvation, okay? Peter explains that salvation is new birth. It is new birth. It is new birth that is caused by the death and resurrection of Christ. And that's the gospel in a nutshell. That's true Christianity in a nutshell. And so to be a Christian is not simply to attend church. <laughs> to be a Christian is not simply to even just be a good person and hope the big guy lets you in. That's not what it means to be a Christian. It's not what the Bible teaches. To be a Christian is to hear and to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. To, any, to anyone here that might be new to that, well, what is the gospel of Jesus? What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, in a nutshell, the gospel is the good news that although humanity rebelled against God, Jesus came and took the punishment that rebels like you and I deserve on the cross. Jesus took the punishment that we deserve for our sin. And so when we believe in Jesus, the wages of sin that are death are paid, right? Jesus pays that. We're then given new lives. And our lives are no longer the same lives as a rebel against God, but now we have been born again to be children of God. You see the difference? So we're no longer rebels against God for those who are in Christ. Instead, we are children of God, adopted into his eternal family for all eternity. And on top of that, Jesus was then resurrected from the dead in victory, right? 
And Jesus now sits in the throne room of God as Lord over his people, the church. And in God's perfect timing, our Lord will then return, right? This thing isn't going to go around and around forever, right? Amen? Do you want it to go around forever? Our Lord will return and he will restore everything. He will recreate everything from the ashes of our rebellion into a new heavens and a new earth with Christ as our Lord face to face. That is the gospel. That is true Christianity. That is the meaning of salvation. And so looking at verse 13, with all of that in mind, Peter says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, now that you have been reminded of what salvation is, what Christianity is, that looking at verse 3 in, in 1 Peter, that by God's great mercy to a bunch of rebels like us, his own creation that rebelled against him, according to God's great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope. And so set your hope fully on the end goal of that salvation. That's what Peter's telling us here. In other words, just more practically, don't put your hope in your money. Don't put your hope in your family. Don't put your hope in your government or anything else. You set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope fully, in other words, on the end goal of the Christian life, which is seeing what? Seeing Christ face to face for all eternity in a place without suffering, without sin, without death. Can you imagine that? I try, I can't. That is Peter's first command to these suffering Christians, to remember what it means to be saved. In other words, to remember what it means to even be a Christian in the first place. That by the great mercy of God, we have been born again through Christ. And then Peter says to put your hope in the end goal of that salvation, which is Christ himself, right? You have been born again to a living hope, a living hope waiting to be revealed at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So that's what Peter tells these suffering Christians, but we need to hear that today too, right? We need to remember what it truly means to be a Christian. Again, true Christians know and have been transformed by the gospel. And so if we're going to stand firm in our faith, we need to remind ourselves of that daily. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. We need to make sure we're setting our hope on what matters most, right? That the end goal of this faith, the eternal kingdom of Christ our Lord, and in the meantime, yes, we will suffer, but we have the blessed privilege to walk with Christ, to serve Christ, to take up our cross and follow him all the days of our life leading up to that. And so, like Peter says, well, how are we going to do that? Well, Peter says we need to be sober-minded. Did you, did you catch that? If we're going to do that, we need to be sober-minded. In other words, and I know our minds immediately go to alcohol and drugs, but what he's talking about here is we need to think clearly about these things, right? It's bigger than just the substance stuff. If our minds are consumed by money or politics or family or sports or anything else in this world, then it's only a matter of time before we lose sight of what it means to be a Christian and we lose sight of the end goal of that Christian life, according to Scripture. 
We need to keep our heads clear, right? We need to be alert. We need to be self-controlled. We need to seek Christ daily, every single day, through Scripture and through prayer. That's what Peter means by being sober-minded. And so for the Christian who is suffering this morning, for the Christian who is struggling to stand firm in the faith, I would encourage you to do this. And it's real simple, but it's just because something simple doesn't mean it's easy, right? Take a step back. Clear your mind. Okay? Take the Word of God in your hand. Take a moment today to be by yourself with God in prayer. Remind yourself just how blessed and just blah, that it is to even be saved in the first place. Soak in the reality of what it means to be saved. When's the last time we've done that? We're so, we've become so pragmatic. Just take a step back. What does it mean to be a Christian? To be born again. That God, by His great mercy, has died for you. To a living hope in Christ. No matter what happens in the world, and guess what? The world's messed up. <laughs> no matter what's happened, you have a living hope in Christ. So set your hope on that. Set your hope on the end goal of that salvation. Again, which is Christ Himself for all eternity. That is our hope. And the moment we realize the reality of that, the reality of our salvation, the reality of what it means to be a Christian, and when we set our hope on that alone, guess what? You're going to find the strength to press on. You're going to find the strength to press on and to stand firm in the faith. But as we move to our second point, all of that happens on the inside, right? Clearing our minds, setting our hope on Christ, those are all inward things. Difficult things, but inward things in our minds and in our hearts. But what about the world around us? <laughs> How should we then live out this new life in Christ, right? That's just step one. The world is still rebellious against God, rebellious against God's way, pushing against you. How do you then live in this world around us. That brings us to our second point, and that is outward holiness in an unholy world. Again, outward holiness in an unholy world. Looking at verses 14 through 16. Let me read that. Peter says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So being a Christian is hard. It should be hard. If it's easy, I'm concerned. It's hard. But when we remember the reality of our salvation, when we put our hope in that salvation, yes, we have the strength to press on. We have the strength to persevere in the faith. We have the strength to stand firm in the faith. But the next question, and Peter knows this, if you just follow his logic, he knows it. How then should we live in this rebellious world? We have the strength and the motivation now, but then what does that look like? How should we act in the world around us? Looking at verses 14 through 16, Peter answers that. In short, he says, look, if you, if you want to stand firm in your faith, again, you have to set your hope in Christ. That's our first point. But second, you also have to make sure you're living like how Christ lived. That's what he's saying here. 
Make sure you're living like how Christ lived when he was here during his time on earth. And how did Christ live? Well, in short, I'll just come at it from this angle. Jesus Christ was God the Son, right? Jesus Christ, God the Son incarnate. And Jesus lived in perfect obedience to God the Father. And so when Christians are born again to new life after believing in the gospel, what, what are we born into? We're not born back into this breed of rebels, right? We've been, we've been born out of that. We're no longer a breed of rebels. We're born into God's eternal family as sons and daughters. Do you see? Now, of course, Jesus is God the Son. Jesus is perfect because He is God. So let's just be perfectly clear here. We are not God, right? We're not perfect. But we are adopted into God's eternal family. And so to be a Christian is to be a son or daughter of God. To be a Christian is to be an heir of God's eternal kingdom with Christ as our supreme Lord. That's what the Scriptures teach. And so that in mind, all that in mind, if we are sons and daughters of God and parents, you'll understand this, then we should live how our Heavenly Father wants us to live, right? That's the logic here. That's what Peter's saying here. Let me just reread it. Verse 14, as obedient children. That's what he says, as obedient children. Of whom? Of Adam? No, of God, right? Born into God's eternal family. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. There's been a change. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So Christians are to live as obedient children of God. And since God our Father is what? Holy, right? We too must strive for holiness. That's the gist of what Peter's saying here in verses 14 through 15. But how do we do that? How do, again, what does that look like? Let's press into the text some more. Well, notice what Peter says in verse 14. He gives us the tip right there. He says, Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. In other words, God has given you new life through Christ, right? If you are truly Christian. But before you were Christian, before you knew God, you just did your own thing, right? Before you knew God, you did whatever you thought was quote-unquote good. You lived your life as if you were your own, quote-unquote, God, right? That is rebellion. That is what sin is. That's the heart of what sin is. Sin is living outside of God's kingdom. Sin is rebellion. It is ignoring God and doing your own thing. So murder, stealing, stuff like that, those are obvious acts of sin, right? But sin itself is much deeper than that. Sin overall is anything that is outside of God's will, and anything that is outside of God's design. And the punishment for that rebellion against God is death. That's what the Scriptures teach. The punishment for that rebellion against God is death. But again, Jesus Christ came, right? Hallelujah, yes. He came and He lived a perfect life without sin. And so think about this. If Jesus had no sin, and if the wages of sin is death, then technically Jesus did not have to die, right? Do you see? Death, the punishment doesn't apply to Jesus. 
And yet Jesus died anyway. <laughs> Why? Why would he do that? To take away our punishment, do you see? To pay the price for our rebellion and for our sin. And so if Jesus died to give us new life, then we should not go back to that old life of sin. Do you see? That's what Peter's saying here. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. He's saying, you knucklehead, don't go back to the old way. (laughs) Turn away from all of that. Turn away from those selfish passions that literally put Jesus on the cross. Jesus died to free you from all of that, died to free you from that slavery. Why would you return to that? Turn away from all of that of your old life. It's done. It's dead. Turn to the new life that you have in Christ. Follow Christ. Live as obedient sons and daughters of God. You might be thinking, well, what does that look like? What does an obedient child of God look like? Well, I'd encourage you, read the rest of 1 Peter. (laughs) Read the rest of 1 Peter, because Peter goes in depth about what that looks like. He explains that obedient children of God, they're sincere, they're loving, they're honest, they're not angry, they're not jealous, they're not slanderers, and so on and so on. So if you want something to read this week, if you're not on a Bible plan, I recommend that you are. Read 1 Peter. He fleshes all that out. And... And, and, and that's helpful because we have the tendency of comparing our Christian life on the basis of other Christians. We compare ourselves to others. I'd encourage you, read First Peter and compare yourself to Scripture. Scripture is the ultimate authority. It doesn't matter what others are doing. Compare your life to what Scripture says. So look at First Peter this week. But putting it all together, again, hope and the end goal of the Christian faith. That's, that's, that's inward. That's the first point. And be holy children of God in this unholy world. Okay, that's how we act on the outside, right? That's outward. But lastly, and most importantly, we'll look upward to God himself. So that leads us to our third and final point. And that is upward reverence to your holy father. Upward reverence to your holy father. Let me read verses 17 through 21 again. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, who was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Amen. So just to recap our first and second point, again, set your hope in Christ and live as holy children in an unholy world. Why? Because your heavenly Father is holy. Children of a holy God should strive to live holy lives. Okay? The logic is pretty simple. But looking here at our third point, Peter, he, he adds one more layer to this. Peter digs a little bit deeper here. Peter reminds these Christians that, hey, if you do call on God as Father, okay, 
That's what it means to be a Christian. If you do call on God as Father, then you must remember one thing about your Heavenly Father. And it's this. God, the Father, is God. You might be thinking, okay, Captain Obvious, but just hear me out. God, the Father, is God. He is the God of the universe. He is the almighty creator of everything. He created all things. He gives meaning to all things. All things are his, and therefore he is the ultimate judge of all things. Do you see? And so, yes, for the Christian, we call on God as Father, and that's a good thing. It's a privilege. But God, our Father, is also the judge of all creation because he is the creator, capital C. He is the creator. Now, you might be thinking, well, why is that important? What are you getting at here? Well, because why this is important is because this call to hope and to holiness is not optional. Do you see? It's not optional. Just because someone calls themselves a Christian doesn't mean that they can just go off and do whatever they want. To live as the world is. God is holy. And so God is different from this sinful world. Do you see? He's holy, so he's different from this sinful fallen world. And if God calls us to be holy, we too must be different from this sinful fallen world. Do you see? And of course, for the true Christian, your salvation is secure. Scriptures teach that. But God does judge everyone according to their deeds. And so children of God must strive to honor God, right? To not fall back into sin, to not fall back into rebellion against your heavenly Father. So God our Father is also judge. But listen very carefully to this part, okay? He is a good Father, <laughs> and He is a good judge. God, this is what Peter says in the, in the opening of this, of this chapter. He says, God, by His great mercy... He's not out to just crush us. Do you see? He loves us. And as this text says, verses 17 through 21, God, in fact, paid a very high price to save us. A very high price to save us. That's what Peter says here in verses 18 through 21. He says, you were ransomed. He paid something for you. Think about that. The God, creator of everything, paid a ransom for you. I don't know, that, that blows my mind. You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So in other words, be holy because the new life that you have costs even higher than silver or gold. The new life that you have cost Christ's own life. So Peter goes on to add in verse 20 through 21, he says, He, talking about Jesus, was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your, hope, your faith and hope are in God. In short, what this means is your salvation was no accident. God is utterly sovereign and God paid a price for your salvation, a very high price by that, man, by that matter. And that was always his plan. Jesus is the pre-existent one. 
existed before the foundations of the world. Jesus, God the Son, was always God. That's what the Scriptures teach. But out of His great mercy for rebels like you and me in these last times, God the Son enters into this fallen world and He lays down His life for rebels like you and me. Do you see? He was perfect. He did not deserve to die, and yet He died anyway to take the, to take the death that we deserve. That's the glory of the gospel. So put it all together, the cost of our salvation was high. It's very high. How dare anybody question the love of God? Look at the cross. That the creator of the universe, who could have literally just started over, Genesis 3, nah, let's start over. <laughs> could have done that, had every right to do that. Instead, what? Paid a high price. He ransomed him back to himself. According to his great mercy, how dare anybody question the love of God? So putting it all together, the cost of our salvation was high. It was higher. I love how Peter puts this. Higher than, than all the silver and gold of the world, basically. <laughs> Have you ever thought about that? Anyone who's wrestling with self-worth, imagine all the silver and gold in the world, and yet your salvation still costs more than that. <laughs> Don't ever doubt, doubt your worth in the eyes of God. He paid the very life of God the Son to ransom you. So just in closing, why should you put your hope in Christ? Why should you strive to live holy lives in an unholy world? Because God, the Almighty, the judge of all things, He is there, and at the same time, God the Almighty is also our, our loving Heavenly Father. He's both judge, and at the same time, He is also our loving Heavenly Father. And He loved us so much that He sent God the Son to die in our place. That's why John 3, 16 through 17 is so famous. The, more I, the older I get, the more I mature in my faith, the more I'm just brought back to John 3, 16 through 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. It's the glory of the gospel right there. The glory of God right there. And so for the weary Christian this morning, remember that. <laughs> Remember the reality of your salvation. Be sober-minded. Think clearly about these things, okay? We don't just grow out of the gospel. We grow into it, right? You can never exhaust how deep the gospel is. Be sober-minded. Get rid of all the distractions. Clear your mind. Think carefully about what it means to be saved by Christ, Set your hope fully on the end goal of following Christ, right? We're not here to just play church. Praise God. <laughs> this thing's going to come to an end, and it's going to be good. Be holy children in this unholy world. It's war. Act like it. Holy children in an unholy world, because the price of our salvation was more than all the silver and gold in the world. It costs the precious blood of Christ himself. Your salvation costs the life of God the Son himself. 
So remember these things daily through prayer, through scripture, through all of these things. You have to be in this book every single day. I'd encourage you to do so. Remember the reality of your salvation and you will find strength to press on in the faith to the very end. Let's pray. Your sovereign Lord, I'm just, even as I'm preaching this, Lord, I'm, I'm just in awe that you loved us so much, Lord. The cost of our salvation was so high, Lord. May we never take that for granted. May we never take the joy of our salvation for granted, O oh Lord. But above all else, we are yours. You are the God who is there and you know us by name. You have a purpose, a plan, a, a, an inheritance for us in the eternities reserved for us. Lord God, may we just take up our cross daily. May we be bold for the gospel, bold for Christ, O oh Lord. And may all that be rooted, O oh Lord, in the fact that you are there and that you have saved us because you love us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.